for anybody out there who wants to do a podcast on their own, three things. A, make your positioning strong, sufficiently niche, and differentiated of the show. B, be consistent for six months. C, be strategic about guests. In today's episode of the Pathfinder Prisons podcast, I have a very interesting guest actually, because today we're going to be talking about podcasts and the shift in marketing that comes with it. So I'm with uh, Tom Hunt here, who's the founder and co-founder of First Fame and the Becast. And in their business, it's all about podcasting, growing B2B businesses through podcasts, something obviously that we're also doing here on the, on the Pathfinder side of things. So very curious to really deep dive into the topic. Curious to learn about sort of the services side of things, the product side of things, but also how Thomas thinks about growth and what is his perspective on changes in marketing. So Tom, welcome to the show. Lucas, thank you for having me. For sure. So maybe give us a 360 you know, overview. What is fame? What is Bcast? How they work together? Uh, they've been sort of you know, started around basically the same time. Give us an insight. Let me tell you a story. This is how the whole thing started. And it started to 2019. I'm not that good at having a job, but I had a job in 2019 at a B2B SaaS company. I was head of marketing. And we started this podcast because there was a persona that I thought we should be targeting. We sold sales software. And I was like, okay, this sales operations person, they do like operations for sales teams. I was like, this is the person I need to learn about because I think they're going to be perfect buyers for us. So I just like on LinkedIn, message some of them being like, can you give me some of your time for free? I can ask you some questions so I can learn about you. It was a better message than that. But obviously no one said yes to that, of course. Mm -hmm. Then the brainwave was, and I don't know if it was mine or not, but we were like, well, we could start a podcast called Sales Ops Demystified and just bring these people on and just talk about them and their career. That way we're going to learn about them. And then maybe we'll build, build an audience of them as well. So we started doing this and we did like 10 interviews. They were like very like low production value, but we did have these people that I believed and actually turned out to be good buyers, like coming into our office, this was before COVID, to be interviewed. And so the business was like, wow, this podcast seems to be going great. And we're getting like a bit of SEO because there's blog posts and they were guests were sharing. So we're getting a bit of social engagement. And this was all good. I was doing all the interviews, even though I didn't know anything about sales operations. But then something magical happened. And like the 17th guest came on the show randomly got started talking to the CEO on LinkedIn and then ended up buying. And it, it, he's like the VP of sales operations at a SaaS company that everyone knows. It randomly got talking to the CEO and it ended up buying our sales software for all like 180 salespeople, right? And so obviously the business was very happy with that. It was like a 10x return on the time and money we spent on the show. And I'm like, this is a holy grail of B2B marketing because you can get this long-term brand building benefit. You can add value to your customers. We'll talk more about that later. But then you can also build relationships that can lead to partnerships or business. So I was like, I'm going to do this. I said to the company, I'm leaving <laughs> to do this. Would you like to be a client? And they fortunately said, yes, I was still the host of that show up to 200 episodes. They're still a client today. And then all we really have done for fame is copied and pasted that process that we started developing. <laughs> Didn't steal any IP and then just applied it to other companies and niches. And so now we have 30, 33 clients in total that we do this for so how should we imagine like you know company getting started with you guys like what happens like you know podcasts you know need some branding need some position needs assets like you know maybe tell us a little bit about some you know getting started with fame like what do i get yeah so typically people reach out to us the the idea of running a podcast has been like floated internally and then normally the head of marketing or someone within marketing has been given the responsibility to like find someone to do it 
And so then we would engage with the company. And the most important thing you can do with the show, and maybe we can get into this, is ensure that your positioning is strong. Strong, sufficiently niche and differentiated. And so we like to get into that stage so we can ensure that if we get that right, and there's two other simple things to get right as well, which is A, be consistent for six months and B, just be strategic about guests. It's not like pitching guests. It's about just building relationships with people that you can add value to in the future and that can add value to you in the future, whether that's being a partner or being a customer. So that's like for anybody out there who wants to do a podcast on their own, three things. A, make your positioning strong, sufficiently niche and differentiated of the show. B, be consistent for six months. C, be strategic about guests. That makes sense. How does Bcast fit into the picture? Great question. So as we were starting Fame, I typically like to like take on too much stuff. So we started Bcast, a separate corporation with me. I have a co-founder. And Bcast is the hosting software that we've been building alongside Fame. And so obviously, I spend all my day working with B2B companies on how to grow their shows. And instead of like using some other off-the-shelf podcast host, and there are many good ones, actually, we were like, okay, well, we may as well just like build something that is just for this kind of B2B process or just for businesses. And so we've been building this alongside Fame. So I'm like the product manager for Bcast, really, because I spend all my time with these people and I bring feature requests over and then we're building Bcast alongside. That makes a whole lot of sense. Now, what I'm curious about is who within the companies is typically the ones that you know reach out and that start a podcast. Is that like a head of marketing? Is that like a, a content person? Maybe tell us a bit about sort of a, who is that ideal person that actually starts the podcast within your If it's below, typically we like to have a company that have like above like 40 employees. If it's below that, it could be the founder CEO. If it's above that, it's either the most senior person in marketing, most senior person in communications. Or if it's a bigger company that has like thousands of employees, it would be like a uh, content marketing manager or marketing manager. That makes sense. Very good. Now, obviously, people are probably curious, how do you guys grow, right? You have a fantastic channel for others to grow. Like what sort of client acquisition channels that Fame and Bcast explore? So we'll keep it to fame, I think, unless we, we don't have that much time. But I'm of the thought that ideally, if you're before you hit like a million dollars in annual revenue, mm -hmm. you should only really have one channel. Just do one channel, make it work. Obviously, whenever you have a business, there are other like supplementary channels that you don't need to work on, but just happen, e.g. word of mouth and referrals. So we have word of mouth and referrals. And before I reveal the big channel, I probably would like to say that our growth has not been that much because of the big channel. It's been because we've actually been adding more value than they have to pay us. And therefore, that drives word of mouth and referrals. So that's the first thing for anybody trying to grow the company. I would actually just forget about any channels and just spend six months making your products or service better so that then you're adding more value than people are paying you. And that means people are going to refer you or they're going to tell their friends. So that's the caveat. The one channel that has, that we have been working on that has bought other customers is just Google ads, like B2B podcast agency, podcast agency. I think we spend the most, we rank number one. So those are the only three channels that we have been working towards. Now, as we're about to hit the million dollar in annual revenue mark, I'm starting to work on the second big channel, which I'm calling the content machine, but it's really a combination of SEO, content, and social. Basically all the same thing, really. And just like working through that process. I mean, I'm happy to go into that, but I don't know if we have time. No, no, go in, go in. So it's just like, really all you're doing with that is like understanding exactly who that person is that you want to sell to. And then just trying to improve their lives, trying to get them promoted, trying to make them happier. 
And so you're, you're doing that through information. You're putting that information on your own domain that has essentially content marketing. If you do that and you put good information on your own domain, you're going to get backlinks that helps with SEO. And then you're also pulling out part of that content and then putting it onto social to get engagement, awareness, and then ideally linking back to your blog. So it's like one big flywheel. Um, Rand Fishkin popularized this term with Moz, his business. He called it the SEO content social flywheel. And it just goes around like that. In fact, as I just discussed, so that's what I'm working on at the moment. That ideally is going to be second channel. It takes a while to get going, but ideally it'll start bringing customers for cheaper than Google ads in the future. Makes, makes complete sense. I think we also spoke a little bit, you know, prior, prior to the interview, because obviously there's a lot of pitching happening all the time. You get pitched emails all the time. Your LinkedIn is full of pitches. Like you mentioned that you see a shift in marketing and you see a shift in what actually is efficient when it comes to marketing messaging. Maybe... Give us an insight, you know, what you've explored and, and where do you see things going? Yeah, I think specifically in B2B, I don't know why it is. I was thinking this afternoon, I wanted to give like an intelligent answer as to why I think this is happening. But it seems like maybe it's because the internet, I don't know, the proliferation of like email and the internet that everyone's getting pitched all the time. And I think what that means is that in order for people to actually buy, they need to have more trust. And I don't know why that is. I don't have a good answer for that. But I think that... You, we can see this because like cold LinkedIn outreach or cold email, I, I don't think it works as well as it once did. And so this comes back to what I'm working on in the content social flywheel is that you want to get the people to like and trust you like years, months before they want to buy so that when they do, they're your top of mind, they come inbound to you. And so all we're trying to do at the moment with fame on the content side is just give away the best stuff you have, <laughs> the absolute best stuff so that we're actually improving these people's lives so they remember you. And when at some point, the thing with podcasts, right? You can't convince anyone to start a podcast. You can't convince a 100-person SaaS company to start a podcast. They have to have that idea themselves. And so, or at least at this stage, I think it's going to be, maybe in the future we can do that, but it's going to be very expensive. So we don't, we'll have the low-hanging fruit first. And so what we want is that, ideally in the world, every like marketing manager at B2B SaaS companies and service companies above 100 people would just have heard of us because we're helping them with their job. And then when if and when they need a show in the future, they come to us. Or if and when their friend needs a show in the future, they tell us, they tell them about us. And that's happened just through like LinkedIn posts I did like last year. But so that is a big shift. And so for people listening, if you're spending money, I think on like cold LinkedIn outreach or like cold email or even spending too much on ads, I would like maybe reconsider that and just start to have somebody in your business or even hire somebody who's an expert in the pain points of your customers and just start like giving away your best stuff. You're that will, you'll start to become famous. People start to know you. And then ideally they'll come to you when they have the need to buy your thing. Makes sense. Very interesting. I was actually thinking about the story that you described at the beginning, how you even got into, into podcasts and how it's a very value driven channel in a way. What do you think if you would extract that for marketers, like what are the aspects of that full concept of the podcast that you guys you know, are offering that make it such an interesting and unique channel? Is that because you're giving value? Is that because you're giving exposure? What is sort of the underlying mechanisms that you see on the podcast channel that maybe people could think about to even you know, spin up new ideas based on those concepts? I think the podcast channel aligns with everything I just said, right? Mm -hmm. If you as a business are just giving away the best stuff, bringing on the best guests you can find and giving away like the best ideas, then that is like, a great medium for you to add value to the life of your customers. Now, I always say podcasts are not a great channel to grow an audience, but they're an amazing channel to like build that relationship. And so if you're like early stage, I would probably look at other ways to build 
like permission assets, but build lists and audience first, mm-hmm. probably directly on social channels now. And then I'll maybe try and get an email list mm-hmm. and then start a podcast. So when you do, you actually have people that are going to listen that you can build the relationship with. So I think that's uh, the number one reason why I think podcasts are useful marketing tool now is because you can really add value to people's lives. It's a very intimate relationship. They'll listen to you, they'll trust you, and then you can give them information that will make them like you. And then the second thing, second reason why is like networking. It, people call it content-based networking, right? Even if the people are not going to be your customers, they might know people that are your customers. And if you give guests, like I've had an amazing experience coming on this show, right? I'm going to remember you guys. If people like need website software in the future, I'm going to recommend you because I know and like you. And so ensuring that every guest whether they could be a customer partner or not, have an amazing experience with you guys or with the, the whoever's starting a podcast, then that will bring value back to you at some point in the future. Makes so th- sense. those are the two reasons. Yeah, makes sense. Very cool. I would like to switch gears a little bit and get to know a little bit more about yourself. I have some rapid fire questions uh, ready to wrap up the interview for today. Are you ready for those? Yep. What's the last book you read? Or the oh. last podcast you listened to for that matter? Yeah, let's do both. So, the my favorite podcast was it the last one? Okay, so my favorite podcast, the All In podcast. Have you heard that? Uh, oh, oh my god, All In! It's with like four Silicon Valley billionaires released every week. So that's my favorite. The last one was actually a, a true crime one that I just got hooked on. Yeah, it's like twelve hours of episodes, and I did like forty hours. It's called Shandy's Story. Amazing Australian podcast about murder. Book wise. I'm currently trying to read Putin's People, but it's an absolute monster. I'm like 32% of the way through. I don't know if I'm going to finish it. What's one single thing your company is focused on the most at the moment? The one thing I'm most proud of with our company is that we have, have had no one leave. And so that's always been a focus is that how can I improve the lives, not only of like customers, but also of team members and freelancers. And if you do that, it's going to be easier to hire because people want to bring their friends. You're also going to have less disruption, less recruitment costs because people don't leave. And so I see my job as I found a CEO to try to obviously grow the business, but a good way of doing that is by just making your employees happy. If there would be no boundaries in tech, what's the one thing you would fix for your role today? Good question. I think there's, we probably automate more tasks. So if there's more like intelligent, like Zapier is amazing, but if there was more like, what would be amazing if you could just speak to Zapier and be like, I want to automate this task. You just tell them. And then they automated that. That would be like so sick. I guess people would lose jobs, but then people could do more creative work. It would just bring the cost of everything right down. Like we're able to charge less because we automate a lot of stuff. But then if you could automate more, then it's, everything would get cheaper. The last thing that kept you awake at night about the company? People problems. <laughs> I say we haven't had anyone leave. That doesn't mean we don't have like performance challenges and stuff. So. Fortunately, we've had no like major issues there, but that would be the answer. And for the very last question, uh, I would like to do a little bit of time travel. Let's go back to the days of Imperial College London, right? You're heading out of education, at least formal education. What's the one advice you would give yourself for your journey? I'd probably be less risk averse, which would mean I would want to be more risky risk taking. <laughs> Because I spent four years in management consulting, which was great. I learned stuff that really helped me today. Like that's the same business that I have today as a people and service business. So I learned a lot, but then I probably could have like been like four years ahead of where I am now if I didn't do that, I think. And I would have been slower, but I think take more risk because you're like 22. You know what I mean? So that, that would be the advice. Very cool. Tom, I really appreciate you took the time with us today to be a guest on Pathmark Presents. I want to give you the very last word. If somebody you know, forgets all we discussed about fame and becast, what's the one thing that they should remember? to just start giving your best stuff away for free 
on the internet. Thanks a lot. Thank you for having me.